Hi, welcome to In Between Stations Radio. I'm going to do a little intro here because last night after the live broadcast, I got several emails of people, listeners, wanting to know what I meant by post-COVID. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and you know, these, these uh, episodes are done live. And so, of course, I'm, you know, my thing is I don't like to go back and edit. I like it to keep, I, like to, I don't like my broadcast to be contrived, uh, you know, and to stay kind of freestyle. And so I make, uh, and that opens me up to a lot of mistakes. Uh, and then I try to keep that rule. I'm not going to go back and, and change that. Uh, so it's kind of raw and kind of fun. And sometimes I'll be wrong. Sometimes I'll be right. Um, and, you know, in today's world, everything has to be exact when it's really not. Uh, that's always a point I'm trying to make with editing. But it's nice to um, to sometimes be right, or at least to have your, your statistics right. And, you know, I embellish a little bit. I mean, this has got to be entertaining. And um, so post-COVID, I think I was searching uh, for some kind of definition in the last two years of all these tremendous changes that have taken place in our country. Now, it's beginning in 2020, uh, or beginning in December of 2020 when we started seeing COVID and and it was it was pretty drastic and um I, so I, I was trying to come up with some kind of a terminology so post covid you know is it obviously i don't think covid's over I, and i do have friends though that think uh that covid's not real that it's mostly uh, a lie or that it's an orchestration by the government uh and you know i'm not going to take sides here uh, i don't know if i feel that. <laughs> i mean a million people died uh so um but yeah Will COVID keep going on and on? Apparently so. Um, but I just, you know, and I'm kind of toying with the idea, uh, trying to get you to question what I'm saying and thinking about it and, and I guess having fun. So um, let's let's move on with, with the broadcast from, from last night. You know, it's not live now. And so, yeah, post in parenthesis COVID. And, uh, and I hope you, you, you enjoy this. And um, you know, in between stations, I'm not the authoritative figure, uh, the person that knows all the answers. <laughs> Although some some episodes, you'd wonder if, if that's if I think I'm a know-it-all, and I, I don't want that to come across. I want to have fun. I want to stimulate your mind, and please keep the emails coming and let me know, especially after these live broadcasts, how you feel. I don't know how much I'm going to go back and change because I want it to stay raw, and and so yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all are. Uh, I don't, and and sometimes I'm right, but mostly let's let's have fun. And I hope I can be your friend. And uh, and thank you for listening to In Between Stations Radio. And so here's last night's uh, live broadcast. Lima, Delta, Echo. Lima, Delta, Echo. This is In Between Stations Radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA. So here we are in the early morning hours and post-COVID, if it's even, <laughs> if you can even use that word post. I have a friend now that's 
actually vaccinated and um, fully, as they say. And uh, she's had COVID now since she's been vaccinated three times. Um, of course, the thing is, is not as severe, right? That's what they say. Um, and then, of course, you know, as we were talking about the um, the reality of people dying that you know of of COVID. Uh, if you uh, if you live in close proximity to a reservation and uh, or reservations, as I do, you'll be acquainted with uh, people dying of this this flu. A lot of people. And uh, in an alarming way. And I, I guess it just depends on where you're at. I mean, you could be in a city or town and the same thing could be going on. I know a couple of families that lost two and three members. And other people weren't even touched by it, didn't even get the flu. So um, there's a lot of <laughs> questions. So do you think it's over? Do you think it's starting? Uh, there's conspiracy theories. There's not conspiracy theories. Is it something that escaped out of a lab? And that's kind of a reality with me because I was involved in the chemical and biological war. And some of my friends are dead. They're not around anymore. Uh, I received several experimental vaccines because we were going into uh, a place, a, a war zone that uh, had a lot, of, a lot of chemical and biological agents. We even had to wear these these. Uh, not just the mask, we had to wear the entire insulated suit, similar to a spacesuit, for hours, for days. You had to sleep in it. It was awful. People complain about masks. You ought to try wearing what, we, what the military calls a mop suit. And then you ought to try taking it off and then putting another one on because your body's covered in charcoal. Sometimes you can't breathe very well with one of those masks on. And then there's, you know, air raid sirens going off and bombs dropping. <laughs> It was all, you know, just crazy. And then later on, this Persian Gulf Syndrome, which is connected to, well, this is a mystery. Biological, chemical agents, experimental vaccines. Uh, you know, I've explained this before, that in the war between uh, Iraq and Iran, which uh, America supported um, Iraq and Russia supported Iran, Going back to almost the Ukrainian thing here. You know, Ukraine's in the middle of this whole thing. And, you know, you got the United States and Russia fighting each other, and the battleground is Ukraine. Well, in the 1980s, it was uh, Iraq and uh, Iran for, for oil. I don't know in Ukraine, I guess it's for fuel. <laughs> I'll start it over. Uh, fuel distribution, and Russia wasn't going to take these new fuel lines for Ukraine and Ukraine got mad and you know I don't know the whole thing and they said hey we're going to join NATO and the United States is like hey we got a road into Russia and you know it's like it's like another Vietnam this thing could go on for for years you know like they always do like Africa all these wars we have just keep going on and on and, and, and you know similar to the to Middle East when I went there in 1990 supposed to be over in two weeks still ongoing there. I mean how many Wars, how much money's been spent in the last 32 years over there? <laughs> the CIA has been, and the KGB have been, you know, been infiltrating the governments there. It's all about oil, it's all about resources. Uh, or we wouldn't even be over there, we wouldn't even care. And, you know, millions of people have died since I've went there, uh, a lot of them innocent people. 
And of course, you'll say, well, that's tens of thousands, not millions. Well, uh, if you do some research, it's, it is that. Uh, and, you know, of course, invaders never want the true statistics to be there, right? But anyway, you had this thing in the 1980s where Iraq, you know, and Iran were fighting each other, and the United States took one side and Russia took the other side, and then we sort of sent, you know, that was one of the shocking things about the war I went to was the enemy was wearing our uniforms, what we call BDUs. They had our weapons. And, and, and how did the Iraqis have that? Well, we gave it to them. <laughs> they used to be on our side, you know, and, 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 you know, our CIA went over and took over their government and, and we wanted to have resources of oil and Iran, you know, same thing happened with Russia and Iran. And, and so you had these huge chemical and biological dumps given to them, Iraq and Iran, and they did horrible things to each other. Oh, just awful. Oh, you know, VX nerve agent, one pin drop can kill a human being. They'd fly over these Kurdish places and other villages and dump this stuff, you know, while they had uh, chemical suits on, would dump this stuff out of helicopters on top of civilians, you know, that were on the other side. And um, so it was awful. And I had to watch films as a medic, you know, because I was trained to respond to VX nerve agent and other biological and chemical uh, agents. And I went through a whole process of learning what you do and how you respond to something like that. Just, we had to watch these real films. You know, they're similar to Auschwitz stuff. I don't know if you've ever watched the Jewish concentration camp films. I have. They're awful. I actually um, cried. I had to spend three hours at a Holocaust memorial and watch the actual 16mm films They on a projector. These weren't videos. They had... I don't know if they were the actual films or copies of those. We watched those, and they were edited and put together in this big, huge reel, and it was awful. It was all silent. So it was narrated by Holocaust survivors. Uh, they were so graphic. Um, and similar, similar stuff I had to watch as a medic when I was training to respond to uh, chemical and biological agents. Something that was kind of unheard of. Excuse me, I'm going to have a drink of coffee here. Something that really wasn't thought about too much in the, in the 1990s. I mean, by people didn't have to go to the war and see that stuff and have to experience that. Not only did it happen to the enemy uh, on a much larger scale, on a more tragic scale, but it happened to us. Because the air was full of these uh, oil burning from these refineries, was full of bombs and missiles exploding constantly, and coming out of the capsules of of these missiles and bombs were these uh, biological and chemical agents. The air was constantly smoky there and not just with burning oil, with all kinds of crazy stuff. And later on when we come back to the States, people got really sick of my unit, some died. And I had some, uh, had some backlash on that that I've never got over. I've never claimed benefits from the government uh, and that's something I'll go into at another time. There's reasons for that. Um, and I've been able to work through a lot of those things and uh, but I don't want to go into that too much today. What I want to go into is the shocking and alarming fact that um, we're living in a world now where science can be used for very good things and very dark things, as we should know. And I keep trying to tell people, you know, that, that use science as the savior of the world. Like I, and I keep saying this on almost every episode. It depends on who's funding the science, who controls the science. 
You know, let's not say science. The scientist, the people doing it, how they use that science. Science is, is not partial. You know, you, you, whoever knows how to use it can use it for good or for bad, for capitalism, for money, for socialism. Uh, you can become a billionaire. You know, we have a couple billionaires now that are really involved heavily in science. And so I don't think that generalization is going to save anybody. It's not good or bad. Like I always say, it depends on who's using it. So obviously we should be really aware of those facts. And we know governments are versed in propaganda. You know, we've talked about this. And telling you something that's not necessarily true or using editors like me to, to spice up the, the, the glamour and to make you think something happened that didn't happen. And, you know, I've been through this whole thing before. How you can, you know, we've got to the point now that you can make, make almost anything happen on videos and film. And if you watch things enough, you're going to believe it. You know, like... You know, Orson Welles and uh, War of the Worlds is the great genius filmmaker and orator and actor Orson Welles. He was the greatest actor as he was director, and he's probably the greatest film director of all time. And he was only in his early 20s when he started doing films. This man was a genius. And because he's so talented and because he knew how to manipulate uh, radio and editing, he made this this famous play we've all heard called War of the Worlds and people that tuned into that broadcast it was nationwide thought there was actual invasion of Martians and you know if you watch enough video and if you watch enough news and that's highly edited it's got to be entertaining can't have boring news that's editing's all about or should be about is taking the really boring stuff out and making it entertaining and, and, and sort of grabbing you and then having commercial sponsors that pay for people that watch that news. you got to watch 30 seconds of commercials, five or six of them, so you can get back to watch the, the sensational news. <laughs> you know, what's better than somebody dying or being killed or raped or, or a city blowing up or a horrible car accident? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. That's not great stuff. You know, was it Don Henley's Dirty Laundry? No, it's an old song, but yeah. Hold on here. So, post-COVID, I mean, I, I think our trust levels, uh, no matter on what side you're on, I try not to be on any side, but hey, you know, I was in athletics. <laughs> I was raised to be competitive, you know, so very extremely competitive, actually, in the family I'm from, because I'm from a family of uh, incredibly gifted athletes. Some have been All-Americans and some... Uh, do we have any played professional sports? I think a couple of us did. Uh, not me, <laughs> not me, but a couple of people in the family did, and I had we've had a lot of a lot of athletes and uh, national winners of different events. So my family is very competitive and very sports oriented. I mean, it's like a you know, it's like it's like the uh, like my dog Gunner is a healer, and he is he is a stumpy tail healer, a real one. And the stumpy tail breed in Australia is a, is a normal healer on steroids, the best of the best. These these healers are bred to um, herd cattle like no other dog, <laughs> and they cost two or three thousand dollars. I got Gunner because some wealthy people gave him up. He was actually shipped on a plane. <laughs> poor pup. Over on a plane in a box, and given you know these people that are very wealthy in Sedona had two twin boys that didn't like the puppy Gunner because he was so extremely uh, 
you know, high octane. This, and, they, and they were house people. They didn't go outside much. And, you, you know, healers are made to herd. They're made to run miles and miles. And, they're, you know, especially the stumpy tail healer. His gunner is a little larger than a normal healer. He's extremely muscular and powerful. Um, and he can run and run. And before he got injured, he could run 15 or 20 miles and not be tired. And, and he can chase antelope and, and deer and and he's just and, and catch them if you know in the younger days so I had to put him on a leash because they couldn't out this guy and he's just one dog can you imagine like a ten of them like they have in you know like ranchers and cattle people have yeah and he's his breed in within the healer breed is the best of the best so and in a family I was raised in we had a lot of athletes that went way back you know and genetically you're inclined to be that way and then environmentally you're taught to be competitive and so you're <laughs> you're kind of like you're kind of like Gunner and there's other families and you know where I was from the little town I was from wrestling was huge and I don't mean professional wrestling I mean collegiate wrestling and high school wrestling and there was a family there um, all the sons and the fathers and the grandfathers were all state champions and, and several national champions. And you were born in this family, not only were you genetically inclined and strong and agile, but you were born into a family where all these people had won all these medals. And I mean, I remember I went into this family, this family's house, I'm not going to mention their name. They're a big farming family and it was covered with, they had a trophy case that you know a high school would be embarrassed you know high schools will have trophy cases go clear back to the 20s these are the state championships these are the state champions these are the medals and trophies that the house these this family had was had a huge <laughs> cabinet full of medals and trophies from way back in the beginning of the 20th century of wrestling champions so environmentally and genetically you're just put together um to you know, to do that, to, to be successful. We're genetically, <laughs> and, and, and I think now with, with uh, you know, biomechanics, and we talked about this in the last episode, with manipulation of DNA, uh, you know, with, with digital, we can, we, we, can, we can make superhumans. I have a couple of friends that are bodybuilders or were, uh, and the money they spent on stuff that they order off the internet, ordered off the internet, is amazing. I mean, it's, it's not steroids, but it might as well be. Because uh, they're modifying their bodies with, with, with stuff made by science. And you're refining it, you know. So is it good or bad? I don't know. Um, and, you know, oh, yeah, one, had, one had, a, had a heart attack when he was in the gym. I don't think it was minor, uh, but he had a heart attack when he was bench pressing. And the doctor's like, um, are you doing enhancers? Yeah. Are you doing steroids? No. He said, well, it looks like you've actually caused serious damage. This guy was huge. I also had a member of my family. You know, members of my family do this. I was in uh, collegiate powerlifting, uh, competitive, and I have a couple of close friends in my family that are still competing in weightlifting and being very successful. I wasn't that successful. <laughs> At the time, steroids was huge, and I was unwilling to uh, engage in that. So my lifting, lifting was really under the, uh, under what it could have been if I if I took enhancers. And my friends would take these enhancers in their in their their totals. You know, bench press, uh, deadlift, and squat were always twenty or thirty pounds higher than me, and so they always won. And um, of course, I got offered many times 
as we call them now, enhancers. I mean, they're, it's just, I mean, it's steroids that are undetectable, really. And so um, I've just always been unwilling to do that. But you can do that. I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing. And so, yeah. <clears throat> but we're living in this world where everything's being modified, you know, exponentially. And I don't know if it's always good for us. You know, I mentioned before in the last broadcast, these extremely bright headlights. I have very sensitive eyes. I actually run and navigate in the dark by starlight in forest. My eyes are extremely sensitive. I think they've developed that way over the years, so I can do that in almost total darkness. Now, what does a pair of these new bright white headlights do? You know, especially the ones that are illegal. Um, it blinds me. I, driving at night is, is really difficult for me because I have such high sensitivities with my eyes. I can't imagine something like a deer or a coyote or a wolf, you know, in these headlights they have now. And, you know, we get these cars that are going so fast now. You know, these new electric cars and trucks in particular, you can go from uh, 0 to 60 in less than 3 seconds. That's great as long as you're on the open road, but if you're in heavy traffic, you're not getting anywhere. Because, you know, it's like, like I said, like in Los Angeles or New York City where you're bumper to bumper for four miles, it doesn't matter how fast your car is. And eventually, in my mind, that'll all be replaced with speed trains and, and um, light rails. And this is a, a, um, our wonderful, the richest man in the world, uh, Elon, is uh, already talked extensively about this as the car in the next 30 years, the individual car will become obsolete because there's just so many of us. And he's actually developed, in fact, the whole process of his TELSA is to, is to give him the money to work on these mass transportation systems. And they're looking at a, a high-speed light rail in the Los Angeles area. It's, it's actually earthquake proof. I heard him talk for three hours on Joe Rogan about this and a couple of other places that this is the future and it's already, you know, the blueprint's already there. And we really don't have much of a choice, you know, and, when you have so many people driving so many cars, you're not going to get anywhere. And so, um, and as you see all these cars lined up <laughs> on the on streets and roads, and you're in the traffic jam, you can actually see the consciousness of the light rail or train there. You know, it's, it's, except you're in your own car, but it could be the passenger car on a train. Except you're driving and you feel like you're independent, but you're really not until you get on the open road. And how long does that last? And if there's, if there's, you know, if the, you know, if you're living in a city with millions of people in it, and not too long, I don't know if, when I went to Lima, Peru, I was shocked. <laughs> you, I've never seen traffic jams like that. Uh, it makes Los Angeles look like a walk in the park uh, for miles, bumper to bumper. And the, you know, the people in Lima, Peru, and Peru are are patient. No one yelled. There was no honking horns. I never seen anybody yell anybody else seen a couple accidents and they still didn't yell. People seem to be fairly polite and and there's not a lot of stop lines, lights there. They have traffic policemen. Beautiful. A lot of women are policemen there. And they have a guy up in a, above the highway that has a whistle and he and also operates the, the red and green lights. So if there's a heavy traffic flow, which I don't I think it's constant there, <laughs> he can switch on the red or green light or you have this beautiful traffic cop that sits above the highway and blows her whistle and traffic it's 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 an interesting situation americans you know we're we're pretty high-tempered we don't like being constrained and put into uh, a little box which is you know is basically how we're living now in these little boxes uh, in these big huge dense cities 
that are getting bigger and bigger and the boxes are getting littler littler with the houses and the less you own them and it's an apartment complex it's like 10 stories like what is it in china 100 stories high of people living on top of people you don't own anything um that's where you live can how long can humans put up with that so anyway i'm, I'm getting off on in a tangent here as i usually do <laughs> Right, Murky? Yeah, we know how you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. Um, Post-COVID, so wh- where are we at? I mean, I had friends uh, that made a lot of money. Uh, I had one friend pulling in almost $4,000 a month from the government. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of money. I wish I would have pulled that much money. You know, uh, that was laid off because of COVID and couldn't go back to work, and so the government compensated him. But the money ran out. But two, for the first time in people's lives, they are able to, to look back and say, hey, I really hated my job. I had to do that. I had to do this awful job working a, a, you know, an automobile plant where you do the same thing or a production line. Where you do the same thing over and over all day long for 10, 12 hours a day. You go home, take a rest, and then you go back to it the next day. And this is your life. You're going to actually spend your life doing this and maybe get a retirement because it's the only job in town that's, that'll pay your bills. So you become an automation, a robot. You know, for the sacrifice of bringing home, paying bills, and, and having a house and school and whatever things you have for your children. It can be high pressure to some jobs. Most people don't do what they love. Uh, and if you do, you don't make a lot of money. There are people that are good at it, and they make a lot of money doing what they love. But it's, and even now, that's getting to be a problem, because corporations are becoming so automated, so machine-like. They have AI software now that run the organization, and then you got these CEOs that just have huge incomes versus the employees, like somewhere at Amazon and Telsa, and I happen to know a few people that work in both those places. And the employees generally are not happy. And I think, actually, Amazon doesn't have employees, but they, they um, court groups that get them employees to do their deliveries and stuff. There's a lot of problems there, especially on production lines in Amazon and Telsa, where people are extremely unhappy. And what we got now, I th- though, is we can look back. People actually, I know I had friends that for the first time in their life, they could sit back and take a deep breath and watch a few movies come home, make love to their wife, and go on, go out to a cafe, and they had money coming in because COVID was so prevalent that that's the only income that you had because your job had shut down. And so people for the first time in their life could sit back and say, what the hell is this thing called the American dream? I'm not going anywhere. I'm in such debt that I'll never get ahead in this job that I have. You know, I have three mortgages on my house. I have too many cars, you know. And, and I'm getting a new car every year, you know, and I go further and further in debt. You're not paying off anything. But people could look back and say, what am I doing? What's up with this American dream? And so what you got, you know, what we call in parenthesis post-COVID, is you're getting a lot of people that go to, and I have friends too, <laughs> you work for six months, you hate the job, and you quit, and you go to another job. And so the... Um, the quality, the quality product that the workers producing, uh, they don't have any experience. They, they haven't, they've been there six months. I mean, some places now have a huge part of the, of the, of the business is to hire and fire, and they have about a six-month turnaround. 
So they're constantly hiring and constantly firing. So what happens to the quality of the product? What happens to a thing called experience where you where you've been doing something for several years and you know how to do it well and you're being paid because you you can do that uh, but if you don't have any experience and the product is not is not going to be good and there are automobile automobile companies right now that are producing very inferior products to keep and I have friends <laughs> that have worked on production lines that have worked in the top echelons of the company and they write me back and they send me pictures of their vehicles and they're like, hey, this is a piece of crap. This is what you don't see under the hood. And he said, you know, that's why, that's why we're having so many problems with this vehicle. It's because the, the, we hire and fire and, you know, the workers have been there maybe six months. There's one place, I have a friend, 700 people quit. They gave him bonuses. I think there was like 4,000 people in the organization. They gave him bonus and said, how many of you are really unhappy? We'll give you a bonus if you want to quit. That day, 700 people quit, and most of them are on the production line of these, of these cars and vehicles. And, and you're going you're gonna, to you know, go to the bank and get a loan for $80,000, $50,000, $30,000 buy that vehicle, and it's a piece of crap. And, and, and really what it boils down to is quality of work. Long, you know, there's something to be said when you've been with an organization for a long time and you know what to do. And you make a quality product and you're satisfied. But there are no retirements. There's no, you know, uh, you got your 401k that you take with you. You know, it's just this crazy <coughs> cycle we're in. And I think post, in parenthesis, COVID, has made us keenly aware of these things. Also, can you trust the government? Can you? It isn't just a political party. I think it's just, you know, it's like, can, I don't blame people for being paranoid. I don't blame people for having uh, conspiracy theories when that's what we, our whole government has been founded on propaganda. For God's sakes, go to a war. Come home from the war. You know what happened there, and you come home and then you see all the propaganda in the press. You even see your own president get up and lie publicly for whatever reason. It doesn't matter what party. And it's like, would you want to be president of the United States? You know, it's just this dysfunctional, bro broken bureaucracy that doesn't work anymore. And I think most common people know that. So where are we at? Are we more lonely? I mean, people really got isolated during COVID because you had the Internet. And if you weren't married, uh, and a lot of my friends are single, I have some friends that are married and have families, but a lot are single, they just were able to, they sat in their house for <laughs> weeks and days. Some actually had food delivered from the store. They never even went to the store. And Amazon brought everything to their house. I mean, for God's sakes, the Amazon and the FedEx truck still is like 20, 30 times, sometimes 50, 60 times a day on my street. I can't imagine all the other streets in my little city here in Flagstaff. Uh, people are still isolated. And even if they're not, they're unwilling to talk to each other. Uh, and, and, and now that the money's not there from the government, you know, you have people that's went out and had to take a job to meet bills, jobs that they don't like, but they don't stay at those jobs. It's just this whole group of people moving from from place to place because the employer doesn't treat them well the employer doesn't have any the employer doesn't care all they care about is they have a better year each and every year 
that we can make up for COVID. We can make up for two years of really low gas prices. Now we're going to have double and triple. In the meantime, you're having a president promising lower gas prices. Yeah, they get lower. Yeah, they get higher. But things are extreme with cost. It's just the whole world, I think, has radically changed. I mean, a million people died, and some people don't want to admit to that. A lot of people died. And, you know, I, in my mind, could we have, you know, a moment of peace and respect to that? I don't know. I don't know. That's, you know, everything's so political now. You know, you've got to take sides. Um, hey, who's going to win the ball game? Hey, I'm on, I'm on the red team side. Hey, I'm on the blue team side. Hey, go blue team. Go red team. Oh, red team won. Oh, crap. I hate you. I hate your team. You know, <laughs> this whole competitive thing is just out of control, maybe. I don't know. So are we more isolated? Are we more confused? Are we more informed by edited internet, by edited video, by controlled commercials? Um, do Is there really a president or is he an android that's, com that's controlled by corporations? You know, uh, it's controlled by, you know, people on the, on the cabinet or, or, or big, huge business executives, oil people. Silicone people, or, or, or you know, computer people, people that are, have interest in their organization and corporation, and they, you know, they pull the strings to the politics. Is that who's, you know, it's that old movie when I was a kid way back in the day called Roller Ball with James Conn. I thought it was so ludicrous, even though I was little, that corporations ran the world. That's the whole problem. That's the whole premise of that movie. Is all the, there wasn't any nations, there were just corporations, and they had these huge, not huge, they had these, these uh, rollerball teams, you know, which is a very violent sport, this modified uh, roller derby thing where you, with motorcycles and stuff, I don't know if you've seen it, where they, uh, you know, where they kill each other, you know, and people will watch, you know, like, like the Roman Colosseum, people come and watch, watch the, the, instead of having wars they do their battles in the arena with this sport called rollerball it's a pretty good movie it's old you know but it's might i just but now look at it i mean are corporations really running the world are there nations you know is, is behind putin actual actually money in corporations um, you know china money in corporate i don't know and then you know we get caught up in this communism thing this capitalism thing i don't know if it is that I just, I, I mean, these, these are generalizations we try to make specific, uh, and, you know, depending on what side you're on, you can, you can support that, that ideology. I don't know, but post-COVID, um, where are we at? What, how much can we believe? How much is propaganda? What, what is the truth? And, how, and if it is the truth, how manipulated is it? And you know, I keep saying this over and over, the editor is paid to to make the scientist is paid to do what they're you know they're paid to to make the project they're paid to make the product they're paid to show the war we won they're paid to you know like winston smith to censor out that person to censor out that violent act to to make it look like it never happened you bury you know they talked about this that the history of our country is living in a haunted house. Tens of thousands of indigenous people have died. Land was taken and stole. Forests cut down. Animals killed. What do you... 
you have to cover that up. It isn't just the United States. Lots of governments do. It's just it's just this modern way of doing things. I mean, we when there gets to be enough of us, we're going to finally say, hey, you know, it, I mean, the things that didn't affect people, just small little things, affect everyone on a large scale now because there's just so many of us. And I, and I said before, is the problem there's so many of us or is the problem the system itself, the way it develops cities, the way uh, banks own mortgages, the way that banks and automobile companies are connected, the way that banks and corporations and loans are connected? Is it, and, and, and the way cities and real estate people, they don't think about things, they just keep building houses over and over. You know, it's like, I call it the mitosis of cancer. Like here in Flagstaff, which used to be a small, when I was a boy, this is a small, beautiful town in the middle of a forest that has Grand Canyon, has some of the most beautiful landscape in the entire world. And it's very diversified. You have extreme hot deserts, colorful canyons to very high mountains that are incredibly beautiful and untouched. Uh, forests that go for hundreds and hundreds of miles are dead. That's you know, this mitosis thing is, you know, George Frank decided to buy 100 acres of land and he bought it and his family built a ranch. It was beautiful. It's in the middle of this forest. And they had cattle. And it was good, good stuff, you know. And the kids got married and they had kids. And the big family house was still there, but each kid built their home. And they got in fights with each other and they built fences around their section of land because the 100 acres was divided up into, into 25 acre plots. They have kids and they build houses and they expand out and then the 25 acre lots are divided up into 5 acre lots or divided up into 1 acre lots. Or, you know, and it's just places I go now, even in the last 20 years where there were no houses, where there was huge expansive forest, are now com houses, big two and three million dollar houses. These are second and third homes, by the way, that are like inches apart. <laughs> I have to run a complete mile now to get back into the forest, sometimes two miles, because the forest is all gone, all cut down. All there are is houses, asphalt streets, and cars, no animals anymore, big fences that say no trespassing. In fact, some people have these these uh, these automatic eye cameras that activate a security some houses <laughs> even have security guards now so uh, and, and and then during the winter because I'm running all the time I run year-round I run up in these in these neighborhoods with these two and three million dollar homes nobody's living there I could break in a house and nobody'd even know you know that the, these are second and third homes that are used in the summer you know go up into the high mountains of Flagstaff you know these resort cities are like that but I live in a place where the average income is about $22,000 a year. I'm sur surrounded by the poverty of the reservations because the job, the low-class jobs don't pay a lot of money. And they come into this town that's largely now owned by upper-class people that are from out of town. And all the, all the independent restaurants that were once owned by people in town are now owned by corporations. Most of the restaurants here are not independently owned. They're owned by corporations now that focus on the the university we have here. It used to be very small, it's quite large now. And then you have these, these corporations and companies coming in building these huge condominiums that charge extravagant rent to the students. So four and five, six, seven, even 10 students will live in one place. 
and pay these extravagant amounts of rent that are all high-rise now to block out the beautiful view of the forest and the mountains. You know, it's the growing pains of an average American city, town. It used to be very small. It used to be very beautiful. And it's like, it's, I, and so what I'm saying is, is it really America or is it a group of people that build cities a certain way? that's focused on making as much money as they can uh, you know and and making that building as tall as they can that can we can push as many li living spaces as we can oh you know it's it, uh, health wise it's better we only have two or three hundred people living in a building and they're like hmm let's get an engineer to design that so we can have eight nine hundred people living there oh well you know like in tokyo well my living space is only like ten feet by ten feet that's okay. Um, we're just going to, you know, it's, it's a living space. You can barely sleep in it and barely, you know, you run into yourself when you, <laughs> you know, when you go in the kitchen, you go in your bedroom to sleep and you come out of your bedroom and you run into yourself because your house is so small. Keep going around this little circle. You know, you've seen these caged animals in zoos like beautiful grizzly bears and stuff. It's not that much this way anymore, but it used to be they pace back and forth and wear off the bottoms of their feet. There's no forest. There's this pretend cement forest, you know? There's this, these pretend two or three trees, but the bear knows, hey, I'm locked up here. And I think a lot of us are locked up in our little areas. I mean, if you live in a big, wide open place, and they're getting to be less and less, even here in famous Flagstaff, you can go hundreds and hundreds of miles and not see a house. Yeah, you can still do that in some places, but things are growing. The cancer, the mitosis is taking place. <laughs> the city's growing. The lights are getting brighter and brighter on the horizon of like Phoenix, 200 miles away. It's a lot brighter than it used to be when I first moved here. When I go out in the desert, the, the illumination qualities of Phoenix are tremendous. I can see them. You know, it's 200 miles away, and it's much brighter than it used to be. And the city's getting bigger. So, do we incorporate wilderness? Do we incorporate the things we love in a city? Or is it all about being owned by banks and corporations where you can't own anything no matter how hard you work? Unless you're in the top 4%. So, has COVID presented to us, has it bared the problem? Has it made naked, laid open in front of our eyes all the propaganda, all the lies? the fact that just a small group of people make a lot of money and they're in both parties you know we say rednecks on in one side and then we say yuppies on the other side we'll take it to the extreme you know huge ranchers like in texas own miles hundred thousand miles of ranch land you know and yuppies that own hundreds of houses you know and sell them for extravagant prices that the house is not even worth that it's just, an, I, I, I wonder, too, how isolated we're becoming from each other and we're becoming socially inept that we can't communicate with each other because we're constantly on a phone. We're constantly in the digital world. So there's no need to actually talk to somebody when they walk by. I know when I go downtown now, I'd say half the people are on their phones. They don't even want to, you know, the whole thing is, I, I'm feeling uncomfortable the closer I get to you. So when I, when I pass by you, I'll have this phone in front of my face. Or I'll be, you know, hanging out by this wall looking at my phone so I don't have to interact with you. I'd say <laughs> I've lost track of how many people. I call. I always ask myself, if a car is driving really slow, you know, 20, 30 miles under the speed limit, 
and, and and my thing is, and you're behind them. I mean, I try not to tread on people's bumpers. I usually have at least a car space or two behind if I can, unless somebody pulls in front of me. I always ask this: Is the person old, or are they on their cell phone? You know. <laughs> And they're trying to drive and be on the text at the same time. And there's a lot more people doing it than there used to be. I don't know. All right. So I don't know where this went. I'll have one more drink of coffee at the close of our day. At the close of this, <laughs> another early morning broadcast. Where did we actually go? Are you asleep? It's okay if you are because I... <laughs> Murky, are you asleep? Yes. And it's time for you to go to bed, too. Okay. All right, folks. Love you. I don't know what side to take. I know we're in a very confusing time. It's hard to know what to trust. And things that we did trust, we can no longer trust, including seemingly our country and the philosophy and ideology uh, doesn't seem to be helping out in a lot of ways. <laughs> do you still be kind and nice, even though somebody isn't kind and nice to you? Do you still drive slow? Do you still dim your brights? Are you still courteous? Or is it getting to the point you can't be anymore? Is the person in the grocery line right on your back breathing down your neck and somebody's right on their back breathing down their neck and the line extends itself out? And you see this a lot of times in grocery stores. What do we do? How do we change things? Have we lost our innocence to the point that nothing really works, including the internet. Do websites even work anymore? Are they controlled by things like Met Facebook that's become Meta, by Google, um, by these, by Amazon? You know, who's? What are you watching all day long? Who's sponsoring it? Who's? You know, it's just. What's the reward for watching? How many ads will you watch? And are, how much are you paying not to have those ads? For God's sakes, <laughs> I have a pretty pays. She pays $200 a month for different channels that she's on. She, it's these special channels that don't have ads. And by God, she has 800 channels she can watch. I asked her once, why don't you watch them all at the same time? You know, and then you don't have to drop acid or do drugs. You can just, digital reality uh, can blow your brains out. <laughs> I think I mentioned this in a previous, my, maybe my last broadcast. Have we reached this point? Uh, are, we, are, are we working towards a, a, a pretty immediate future where we're going to get two kinds of human beings, ones that are ex exceptionally natural and choose not to invest and spend their time with, with uh, the technology, especially as it updates itself and becomes more and more uh, exact and faster and uh, easier to, to do tasks for us. I mean, I have friends that have left that completely. They're, they're living off the grid, so to speak. And then I have other friends that are extremely technological. Their house is filled for the latest stuff. Their car has the latest stuff. Um, they're, uh, they're excited about becoming machine. Uh, they have the beautiful white teeth. They have the face fixed uh, with the money that they need. Uh, they have the best food. Um, and even more so, everything they do in their daily life in, in, at their job and at home deals with computers and deals with software and deals with all these applications and the ability to 
use your own incentives, your own strength, and your own brain power diminishes because you have these programs, supposed AI, that that does it for you. Um, the, and will, we, will these sorts become more and more machine, more and more Android-like, like Philip K. Dick, you know, uh, predicts in his novels, these dystopias will become real, subtly. We won't notice it, that we're involved in that. And that's a problem with something like the Nazi Empire and these previous dark empires, as when you're in there, you don't notice it. When you're in, in that environment, if you're extreme, you know, in your political ideologies, and if you're racist, you may not even notice that because everybody in your town is that way. You've grown up that way. If you're growing up in an all-white town or an all-black town, or if you're growing up a certain way, you have these stereotypes. You have these these prejudices, maybe, that are built into the, your way of life. Um, you know, and so you, you think a certain way. You don't notice what's happening around. You don't notice that your headlights keep getting brighter and brighter. Your car keeps getting faster and faster. I mean, what will happen when we can accelerate from 0 to 60 in less than 0.2 seconds? I mean, you actually pull G's, you know, like you do in a, in a rocket or an airplane. What happens when your car can break the sound barrier? What does that do when you're in a huge traffic jam, you know, miles long? You just sit there and idle and burn up the gas? I mean, how fast do we go and how do, how do we reach a point that we no longer know what's going on? Or how far in the wilderness and how primitive can you get to the point that you no longer even accept medical science? That you no longer accept you know, medications, that you, everything is totally natural. And I have friends that do this. Now, of course, for tens of thousands of years, we got by. I mean, we go so extreme on both of these things, and that's kind of what's happened. We're kind of, since post-COVID, we've noticed these extremes are tremendous now. I think beyond anything that we really could imagine. And I think COVID gave us forgive me for saying it's sort of a breath of fresh air to see just how perverted and how deformed and how owned the system is. When I worked at the hospital, I remember <laughs> our storage room was a monopoly of masks and certain things, and then there were other things we didn't have that we had to order from the warehouse, so they had a monopoly on them, and they'd make us pay more. You know, it was like holding things back so you can charge more money if you need them. So... I wonder if we, if COVID gave us a sort of time to actually to take a deep breath and see the sheer speed and confusion of the system that we're living in, in terms of real estate. I mean, housing is just absolutely frightening if you don't make a lot of money. Where I live, it's very normal now for a house that was $130,000 when I moved here 25 years ago to be close to a million dollars now. And the, and the income, actually, where I live, is less than it was 20 years ago. How do you afford that? How do you, how do you, you know, it's, it's, it's these extremes, I think, we're able to see. How much can gas cost? Yeah, oh, we have the cheapest gas in the world. You know, everybody always says that. But in terms of our economy, in terms of where we're living, what does that mean? The cost of bread, the cost of food is so extreme and, there, and there's shortages made on purpose but you know it's like we're just aware and we're just at a point in the history of our country where we're starting to see the long term especially with 300 million people 
and not 50, not in a lifetime, 80 years, but in and hundreds, even thousands of years, we're starting to see, hey, there's some problems here. You know, we there, there's these extreme droughts. There's these, uh, we have these volcanic eruptions. We have things that happen that really haven't happened in the history of our country yet, at least not big time. So, we're, you know, like these tribes say, look, we learned a lot of this the hard way. It was trial and error. We've lived here 5,000 years. We know what happens. There's these cycles that are much long, that are very long term, more so than how long you've been here. You know, when colonists came, the Spaniards came, they took, they brought with them their ideals from another country, from another place that was totally different, alien. And short term memory, the conqueror, uses that to their advantage. They erase their, the, you know, the traditional teachings, the traditional religions, so they can enslave the class of peoples or make them into somebody that serves them in their country. So, you know, it's like, where, where are we at? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm going off the deep end here. So, um, yeah, will humans become to the point that they are androids, that they are machines, that there's no longer, you don't, you can just lay there and everything's done for you. You don't even have to make love to your wife, you know? She has a machine that does it a hundred times better than you do. Vice versa. That's getting a little, little crisp. You know, what, you know, you don't have to run anymore because you're sitting all the time. You're in cars, you're in trains, you're in buses. You go from one chair to another, you know? And it's just, even when you're working, even when you're under tremendous amounts of stress, you're just sitting there and your blood is pooling in your body. Your muscles aren't, you know, you have, like I said, I, I can edit for 12 hours straight and not go to the bathroom. My poor bladder is screaming, you know. I'm, de I'm actually depressed. I don't even notice it because I have these, I have to meet these, you know, these uh, project goals to get paid. And then maybe the person won't even pay me. And your poor body sits there in front of all these screens, especially when you edit. Sometimes you have three screens, huge screens that you're moving across all fucking day. <laughs> Sorry. All day long, these lights are flashing. And you pick up your cell phone, you got more bright lights. And you look at your TV and more bright lights. You're driving down the interstate at night, more bright lights. We're so used to bright lights that nobody can even be in the dark. They're, they're just, they're scared. They don't know what to do in a completely dark situation. Come navigate with me. Come stay in the landscape in the wilderness where there are no lights except for the sun and the stars. Except for the sometimes a little flashlight. You know, I talked about that too. These illumination qualities of flashlights. Now, my God, they're, they exceed anything we had in the military 30 years ago. There's no need to have lights at 60,000 lumen that you can see five miles away. That's a flashlight. I can order that from West Germany for 350 bucks. I do not need a light that bright. But you can get used to that. Or you can get used to not having anything and thinking that you can be go back to the caveman days, if there ever really were caveman days. So, I don't know. I think it's trying to find a medium, but it seems like these extremes are getting so bad, especially after COVID, that something's going to happen. That the strings are stretched so tight between people and social situations, they can't talk to each other. Everything's texting, everything's on the computer. That it, it's it's hard to meet somebody in the physical. Somebody actually at the store, or the bus stop. It's hard to talk to them. It's hard to make eye contact. You have your little group, and you're on the phone all the time and on the computer. What's happening to us? Are we becoming <laughs> socially retarded? Even if you're out there in the wilderness, you can get that way too. So are we losing our abilities, the thing that's most dear to humans, talking to each other, a hug and a kiss, um, 
not sleeping alone all the time and are not getting satisfied in a, a virtual reality game where everything can be done for you and you get you get the sex, you get the running, you get the sports, you get to be the killer, you get to be the hero and you've never done anything, you've never left your room or your chair. That's, that's worrisome. Or you can't come out of the wilderness, you're stuck there. Stuck in being, you know, which I, I guess for me is not that bad. But is it? You know, can we find a medium? Or are we going to have to come like we always do to the point of a war or a revolution? And revolutions are bloody and they're awful. Just study the history of revolutions, even our own. Um, for Native Americans, it was a horrible tragedy. Uh, and, you know, it's just, I don't know. And, you know, and I keep saying this too, history is a nightmare from which I'm trying to awake from the famous Joyce, James Joyce novel, Ulysses. Is it really history's a nightmare or is it that we forget that we purposely don't remember the mistakes that we've made. And that's what these indigenous and native tribes say. We learn from our mistakes. And we've been here for thousands of years. We have a message for you. That you need to keep this long-term knowledge intact with the climate, with plants, with animals, with our brothers and sisters that are part of us too. That we, and, and some of these tribes even talk about previous worlds being so highly mechanized. Great technologies, great interstellar ships that came and, and, and at the end the world was burned or destroyed because people lost their humility. People became machines. There are tribes that actually have that built into their belief system. Previous worlds, they call it. And they say, hey, we're heading in the same direction again. We're doing this over and over. Hopis have nine worlds. We're, in the, we're, we're getting ready to go into the fifth world. All have failed previously. And humans have been the only species that just keeps making these same mistakes over and over. Alright, I wish I could play the song A Life in the A Day in the Life of. Is that the in, the end track of the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Band? Because it would be it would be uh, perfect for the end of this broadcast. Okay, love you. Have a nice night.
Station's radio. Right 